Let me invite you to take your Bible and go to Isaiah chapter 9. We are going to wrap up the series that we've been uh, going through in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, by looking at the last of the, of the titles that will be given to the Messiah in Isaiah chapter 6. This morning we'll look at the, the titles of Eternal Father and Prince of Peace. These are maybe for our understanding of who the Messiah is, maybe the most important, and yet uh, may, maybe also the most misunderstood, the most um, maligned, if you will. And yet, we, we see, especially when it comes to the, the title of Eternal Father, that the Messiah is promised to be one who would be the perfect Father. And so, if you will, turn to Isaiah chapter 9 with me and stand as we read the word of the Lord this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The word of the Lord says this, The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A light has dawned on those living in a land of darkness. You have enlarged the nation and increased its joy. The people have rejoiced before you as they rejoice at harvest time and as they rejoice when dividing spoils. For you have shattered their oppressive yoke and the rod, of their, and the rod on their shoulders, the staff of their oppressor, just as you did on the day of Midian. For every trampling boot of battle and the bloodied garments of war will be burned as fuel for the fire. For a child will be born for us. A son will be given to us and his government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. The dominion will be vast and its prosperity will never end. He will reign on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and sustain it with justice and and righteousness from now on and forever. The zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. Let's pray. Our Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for the gift of your Son, for the wonderful time that we have this each and every time this year when we get to celebrate the birth of Jesus. This morning as we look at at these titles of Eternal Father and Prince of Peace, I pray you would center our attention on not just what this meant for Isaiah's hearers, not just for those who got to see the, the child born in Bethlehem, but for us now, 2,000 years later. And for those in future generations, that this lasting promise that we get to hold on to. Speak through your word this morning. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. So two titles this morning, the, the Eternal Father and the Prince of Peace. Now, first of all, we'll start where, where this passage starts and with the, the first title we're going to look at, and that is that the Messiah will be the perfect Eternal Father to his people. You know, one of, the, one of the ways that God is presented to us throughout Scripture is as a heavenly father. We're, we're, we're told over and over and over again that, that God is our father. And de depending on maybe your, your own experience with an earthly father, that's, that's either a really good image or in some cases it's a really bad image. 
In fact, there are even some in, in the world who would say, we need to stop referring to God as Father, and, and we, can, we can refer to God just as, just as a heavenly parent, or um, in, in some more liberal circles, they would even begin to discuss the motherhood of God, and yet Scripture presents God as a Father. So, so what do we do with that? Particularly if you grew up with, with a poor example of, of an earthly father, and so when you hear that word, it just brings up uh, maybe abuse, maybe anger, maybe rage, maybe neglect. And so for us, as we look at this promise that the Messiah will be called the Eternal Father, we need to realize that He is the perfect Heavenly Father. No abuse from Him no condemnation from him, no neglect from him. He is the perfect example of what a father should be. In fact, all through Scripture, we're, we're given these, these passages that would point us back to this fatherhood of God and what that means. So, so for instance, uh, Proverbs 3.12 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, just as a father disciplines the son in whom he delights. Now, uh, if you ever were disciplined, and, and I would argue that good parents, good fathers discipline their children, uh, even though at the time that discipline doesn't seem like fun, right? Anybody ever been grounded and is like, this is the best thing? Like, yes, father, you know, parents in your righteousness, yes, you are correct. I was wrong. I am, I am deserving of this, right? It's not typically how that conversation goes, right? At least in my own house, I know at times, I'll, I'll out my children, there's sometimes rolling of eyes and, and looks of disgust and like Noah's giving me right now. <laughs> you know, the, oh. Oh, you've been there too. Okay, good. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. By the way, if you have small kids and you haven't experienced that yet, it, it, will, it will come. I've been told this too will pass. I've been told it doesn't last forever, but, but your, your time comes. <laughs> um, one of the marks of a, of a good father is discipline, right? Not out of anger, not out of rage, but out of a deep concern for well-being and safety and growing in wholeness. Another reminder is Psalm 103.13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Again, a mark of a good father is love, compassion. That no matter what happens, you know that your Father will respond in love. And that's the picture we have of the Heavenly Father. No matter what happens, no matter what we do, He responds to us in love. One, one of the best things that I've seen in regards to this is actually from a meme, which I, I don't suggest that you get all of your theology from memes on the internet. Um, so if you're here and you have no idea what a meme is, it's a picture with like a narration of some sort. Okay, just, just words. And, and, and this, this particular meme um, co compares 
religion with the gospel. And, and I love this because religion says, oh man, I've messed up. My dad's going to kill me. And the gospel says, I've messed up. I need to call my dad. That's the picture that we have of the heavenly father. One who even when we mess up, and, and by the way, it's not a question as, as people, it's not a question of if we mess up, it's a question of when, and, and sometimes how bad, right? <laughs> when, when am I going to mess up and how bad is it going to be? And in that moment, we don't have to be afraid of the Lord's response to us. We can instead say, I need to go to him. I need to call him. And then finally, before we move on to the Prince of Peace, Hebrews 12, 5 through 7, writer of Hebrews says this, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? The the part that I really appreciate about this is, is this line right here. Endure suffering as discipline. Could it be that sometimes God allows things into our lives, allows, allows circumstances to come in that, yes, might cause suffering in order that our faith might be refined? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying God causes cancer. God, God causes hurricanes. That's, that's not where I'm going with this. What I am saying is that, that God sometimes allows suffering in order that we might come to know him more fully. And look, that's important for us this year, right? Because we've, we've seen some suffering. I think to an extent, all of us have suffered in one way or the other this year. Whether we've actually wrestled with the virus, all of us at this point know someone who has contracted the virus. We all know probably someone personally that has passed away from as a result of COVID-19. We've all seen lives upended in some way or another. The, the word, especially in the book of James, that would, that would uh, refer to suffering is, uh, the, way, the way James puts that is, he says, uh, count it all joy when you experience various trials. And I'm so gr- grateful for that. I'm glad he didn't just say persecutions. I'm glad he said various trials because uh, almost anything, any kind of hardship that you face can be lumped into there where he says, listen, count it all joy when things don't go exactly like you wish they would go, when you experience various trials. And the reason he would say we can count it all joy is because the Lord uses those trials. The Lord uses sufferings to shape us and mold us into the image of Christ. Now, much like when you're grounded, it's not fun, right? Discipline is not always an enjoyable task. But the end result is that we would be mature and complete, lacking nothing is the way the Bible describes that. So this promised Messiah will be the perfect perfect eternal father to his people. Finally, we're given this title of Prince of Peace. We see the the Messiah will bring true and lasting peace to his people 
forever. You know, we've seen, much, much like we would say we've seen sufferings, we've seen disruptions, we've seen peace taken away from us in, in so many sectors of life this year. Whether especially early on in, in the early days of COVID, if you had some sort of financial peace, there's at least a good chance that, that you wondered whether or not that was going to last as, as maybe you watched uh, retirement account numbers just kind of look like it was on a roller coaster and not in the good way, right? So we've certainly con- concerned ourselves with, well, am, am I going to contract this virus and how bad is it going to be? And even though 99% of the people that contracted end up being okay, there's still like that chance that is, is, is it, am I going to be among that really small minority that gets it and that, that has a rough time with it? What does this mean for my job? What does this mean for my kids and their education? What does this mean for uh, going to the grocery store? Am I going to have to stand outside of Walmart for an hour and a half? I mean, listen, that's worth it at Disney World. That's not worth it for Walmart, okay? I've been on that ride. I don't recommend it. In, in a time where we've seen peace taken from us, we're reminded that the peace that Jesus promises lasts forever and is not dependent upon our circumstances. In fact, it's, what we see throughout, especially the New Testament, is a peace that happens in spite of circumstances. Remember Paul, who uh, immediately after recounting all of the sufferings that he had experienced and being uh, beaten and left for dead, being stoned, being shipwrecked, being adrift at sea for uh, several nights. After all that, he would say, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I find myself because my peace and my joy are not found in earthly things. My peace and my joy are found in Christ alone. I think that's a big part of why when the angels showed up to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. They declare this, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. Now keep in mind that the context in which this is happening, you have shepherds who were not expecting anything really to happen, right? Other than maybe a wolf wandering into the camp and them having to fight it off. Like the shepherds did not expect excitement out on the hillside. I mean, in fact, if everything was boring, that meant that things were going well. And suddenly, what we're told is that the sky breaks open and there's this heavenly chorus of angels. And as the old King James Version reminds us, they were sore afraid. In West Texas, we'd we'd say they were scared, okay? (laughs) Isn't it interesting the first thing that they're told? Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glorify God, praise God, and peace to men on earth. It didn't seem very peaceful, right? And yet here's the angels declaring peace to earth. John 14, as, as Jesus is approaching the cross, and his disciples, as his disciples begin to get at least a mental idea of what's going to happen, that, that Jesus has told them several times, hey, I'm, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. And, and even though they don't grasp everything that he's saying, that they're at least 
beginning to realize that, that something is not going to go right in, in Jesus' life. And this is what he tells them. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. See, I think it's important that he says, I don't give to you as the world gives because any kind of peace the world gives can be taken away. Financial peace, right? We've already talked about that. It can be, it can be taken away. Our health is a fragile thing. Haven't we learned that this year, that this microscopic virus that you can't see can wreak such havoc on, on our lives, on our, on our health, on our economy, on, on every... Listen, listen, any kind of peace that the world offers is temporary and is fleeting and is so fragile. But the peace that Jesus gives is lasting. He says, don't let your heart be troubled or fearful. Now it's said, I've, I've not counted all of them, okay? So, so hear me out there. But, but it's, it is said that the, the words, do not be afraid, or some variant of that, is in the Bible 365 times. Meaning there's one in there for every single day of the year. Could it be that God understood that we, by our very nature, would be fearful, would be afraid? So over and over again, the Bible will command us, do not be afraid. And finally, Romans 5.1 explains how we get this peace. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that the word justified is a big fancy word that means made right with God. Sins forgiven. Reconciled to Almighty God. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is where this peace comes from. This is how we come to know God as the perfect Heavenly Father. Through being reconciled him. See, the Bible declares that our sin separates us from God, that our sin fractured God's perfect creation, the perfect relationship that he designed us to have with him. And yet because God loved us so much, he sent his only son Jesus to live the perfect life that we couldn't live and to die the death that we deserved because of sin so that we might be reconciled to God and experience eternal life with him. The result of that is eternal life. Starting now in peace that surpasses all understanding. Starting now. So maybe you're here, maybe you're watching us online and you've never trusted in Jesus as Lord and Savior. You can do that today. Not by a magic formula, not by any kind of spiritual pixie dust, but simply by praying something like this. God, I'm a sinner and I want to be forgiven. I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died for my sins and is alive right now. I turn away from my sin and now confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and receive him into my life. I ask you, Lord Jesus, to control my life and thank you for giving me eternal life. 
If you're watching us online and you'd like to know what it means to follow Jesus, you can text that number that's up on the screen right now, 446-3663. If you're here in the room and you'd like to know more, you can text that number as well and love to get back in touch with you this week. Or we'll stand and sing a song in just a moment. You can come and just pull me aside and say, Kyle, I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. You can grab me on your way out the back door and say, hey, I want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus. The message of Christmas. The ultimate hope of Christmas. Doesn't end with the manger. Doesn't end with the arrival of the wise men. The ultimate hope of Christmas is found on Easter Sunday morning. Jesus rising from the dead, defeating sin and death once for all, and paving the way for us to be made right with God. Trust in Him this Christmas season. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You for this morning. Thank You for the wonderful message of hope and peace and joy and love that we've talked about the last month, that we've, that we've sang about this morning. That we'll continue to hear in, in songs on the radio and in those Christmas carols that we know so well. And I pray, especially this year, with, with all that we've experienced, that those are not just words that we say, not just mindless Christmas songs, but they are deep truths that we stake our lives on, that Jesus Christ is born. Because of that, we can experience true, lasting peace and joy. Pray on moving hearts this week. Pray you would turn our hearts and our minds to you, that among everything else that will happen this week, we wouldn't lose sight of the reason we celebrate. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him to the earth for the promise of eternal life that that brings. We ask all these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.